Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's lovely to be here. It would be a great help, please, to have Luke chapter 9 open. So if you have got it open, that's wonderful. If you haven't, if you could please reach for a Bible and turn to page 1039. That would be terrific. Thank you. Let me pray before I preach. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word that points us to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that in these few moments that you would take these words of yours and that you would speak into the very depth of our hearts and souls that we might see and trust and love the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Very few people have ever seen the full glory of God. God's only displayed his full glory to a handful of Old Testament prophets and a few of Jesus' followers. Um, perhaps we recall that when God displayed his glory to Moses, Moses had to hide in the rock as the Lord God walked past. And as God did so, he proclaimed his great and glorious character. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. The great prophet Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his throne filled the temple. The prophet Ezekiel saw the glory of God seated on a sapphire throne. And I'm sure perhaps we remember that in the New Testament, as Saul, as he then was, was walking that road to Damascus, to persecute Christians, he saw a blinding light from heaven. And in Revelation, you may remember, if you were with us for the sermon series before Christmas, John the Apostle had a vision of God's glory. Well, this morning we're, we're reading, aren't we, in Luke chapter 9, to see how three of Jesus' disciples were privileged to see the glory of the Lord Jesus. And I trust that today we're going to be hugely encouraged as we look at these verses together. As an aside, and as in some ways we've already sung, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and his transfiguration have so many amazing parallels with the Old Testament exodus when God miraculously saved his people from slavery in Egypt. Um, exodus parallels include God revealing himself in the clouds, and being on a mountaintop, God speaking to a chosen servant, and God's miraculous uh, feeding of his people. And God showed his deep love and his forgiveness, his salvation to his people. Um, I'd love to explore lots of these Exodus parallels in uh, Luke chapter 9, but I'm afraid this morning we just don't have time. But perhaps signposting a few of these parallels now might help as we look at these verses in more detail. And, and maybe they, they might whet your appetite to have a look and do some personal thinking later. But this morning, our Bible verses teach us two great truths. Firstly, Jesus is God's glorious King. Secondly, Jesus' cross brings salvation. May I repeat those? Jesus is God's glorious King, and secondly, Jesus' cross brings 
salvation. Well, firstly, Jesus is God's glorious king. And if you'll excuse the pun, instead of having our our heads in the clouds, we need to get our heads into Luke chapter 9. So please do... (laughs) So please do look down with me to verse 18 of Luke chapter 9. Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowds, who do the crowds say I am? Well, various people had different ideas. Interestingly, they all involved a resurrection. And verse 19, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. However, after years of traveling with Jesus, Peter has come to see that Jesus is God's Messiah. I'm sure you know that Messiah is a title. It's not a name. It means God's chosen king. And then in the context of Luke 9, Jesus explains God's salvation plan. He explains for the first time that he will die. And we'll return to this theme in a moment. Then in verse 27, Jesus says to the disciples, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Do you see what Luke is doing? Luke is explicitly linking these three events. Peter declaring Jesus to be the Messiah... Jesus' teaching about his death and the transfiguration at the top of the mountain. But let's carry on with the narrative. Verse 29. As Jesus was was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his face, sorry, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Well, these three disciples clearly were very sleepy, perhaps from their trek, maybe because it was nighttime. But they became fully awake, as we hear, when they see Jesus' glory. Well, it, it doesn't stop Peter, of course, getting a little bit muddled and talking about putting up a few tents. But they saw Jesus' glory. And this fulfilled what Jesus had said in verse 27 about some of his disciples seeing the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' transfiguration was not magic. Luke's account is not a fictional novel. This isn't a strange change like what happened in Robert Louis Stevenson's novel Jekyll and Hyde. No, on that mountaintop... Jesus no longer looked like a normal man. And there's a simple reason for this, isn't there? Jesus isn't a normal man. Jesus is God's glorious king. And the appearance of Moses and Elijah reminds us that in their ministries, they too pointed ahead to Jesus. Do you recall how in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses told the Israelites... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. And Moses says, you must listen to him. 
And like Jesus, the Old Testament Elijah did powerful miracles in God's name. And like Jesus, Elijah told the people that they asked, they needed to ask God for his forgiveness. 400 years before Jesus became a man and entered our world, the last Old Testament Malachi was given a prophecy. A prophecy about Elijah. Elijah, he was told, would return before God's day of salvation and judgment. And here he is, speaking with Jesus on the mountain. These two Old Testament prophets show us clearly that Jesus is God's glorious King. And so does God the Father. Please do look down to verse 34 with me. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Well, as with Moses at the Exodus, God the Father has the last word. He says, This is my son. Jesus is God's glorious king. The second great truth in these verses is that Jesus' cross brings salvation. Again, some context is essential. The transfiguration takes place between Jesus' first explanation about his death and his second explanation about his death. Um, You might want to just turn back to verse 22 for Jesus' first explanation. In verse 22, the Lord Jesus says, The Son of Man must must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. The Lord Jesus there predicts his death for the first time. And if we flick ahead to verse 44, we can see in these verses the Lord Jesus teaching about his death for a second time. Verse 44. Listen carefully, the Lord Jesus says. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And perhaps you noticed, during the transfiguration itself, an extraordinary conversation takes place between Jesus and with Moses and Elijah. Verse 31. They spoke about his departure which he was to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Amazingly, when Jesus is at the top of the mountain displaying his glory, he's talking about his crucifixion. Some Bibles, including ours, have a little letter, letter A, next to the word departure. I wonder, did you notice? And if we look down at the bottom, A tells us, verse 31, Greek, Exodus. Jesus is talking about his exodus. He's talking about his departure. 
In the Old Testament, God's great work of salvation was that miraculous saving of the Israelites out from slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And do you see what Jesus' exodus, his saving work, his exodus is doing? It's even greater. Jesus dies on the cross and he saves people out of sin from death and into forgiveness and into eternal life. Jesus' cross brings salvation. And on that mountaintop, with their heads in the clouds of God's glory, these three disciples didn't yet understand all of this. But they would come to do so after the Lord Jesus' death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Their eyes were opened. They came to understand. They remembered all that Jesus had said and done and taught. Jesus' cross brings forgiveness. Well, this wonderful transfiguration account teaches us these two incredible truths, that Jesus is God's glorious king, firstly, and secondly, that Jesus' cross brings salvation. And as we draw to a close, I think these verses invite us to consider how we can respond, how we should respond personally. Firstly, I'd suggest that these verses encourage us to trust Jesus. Jesus is God's glorious king. Jesus' cross brings salvation. The Lord Jesus is unique. He's unique in his incarnation as a man. He is unique in his crucifixion for our sin. He's unique in his resurrection to eternal life. And he's unique in his ascension, in his reign, and in his glory, from which he will return as judge. Jesus is unique. And on that mountaintop, he displayed his glory. He spoke of his death on the cross. So we can trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus with our sin. We can trust Jesus on that path to eternal life. And like Moses and Elijah, if we're trusting, we will be raised to glory. If you're already trusting Jesus as your king and your saviour, then rejoice. If you're thinking things through, if you're considering this step to start trusting Jesus, may I strongly encourage you to take it, to take that step of trust Perhaps even now, perhaps even this afternoon or this week, our first response to trust Jesus. Secondly, I'd I'd suggest that these verses encourage us to worship Jesus. When prophets and disciples saw God's glory, they fell at his feet in worship. We should worship Jesus because of who he is, God's glorious king. We should worship Jesus because his cross brings salvation. When I go on holiday to Cornwall, I drive down country roads and I read the warnings about motorcyclists and accidents and people who've been lost. And as a preacher, I need to be faithful 
to the full word of God and his loving words of warning. So said humbly and gently, can I please ask us to turn back to verse 25, just for a moment. Thank you. Verse 25. The Lord Jesus and his loving words of warning. He says, verse 25, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you see? The Lord Jesus is God's glorious King. His cross brings salvation. The Lord Jesus says he will return. He's come as saviour. He will come again, he promises there, as judge. The Lord Jesus is entitled to our worship. So first two responses. First, to trust Jesus. Secondly, to worship him. And thirdly, to listen to Jesus. Did you notice that in verse 35, this was God the Father's command to those disciples. Verse 35, the Lord God says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. However, I'm sure that most of us would admit they were actually really very reluctant to listen to Jesus. We're pretty slow to open our Bibles and to read. I suspect that for many of us, myself often included, reading good books is preferable to the gospel. Emails take precedence over New Testament letters. We quote the Sunday papers though we might neglect the Psalms. And we listen to radio and TV commentators, but we ignore the Old Testament prophets. Dear friends, this this shouldn't be so. The Father says, this is my son who I chosen. Listen to him. So can I gently and lovingly encourage all of us to be opening our Bibles and obeying the Father's command? to listen to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps a psalm before the supplements. Maybe a New Testament letter in a week. Perhaps a gospel in a month or so. Let's listen to Jesus. And maybe after the service, we can encourage one another, be building each other up by sharing what we've read in God's word for the encouragement of each other. Perhaps through the week we could be sending Bible verses to each other to share words of truth and hope and trust. Jesus is God's glorious King. His cross brings salvation. So let's trust Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Let's listen to the Lord Jesus. Why don't we take a moment now of personal and private prayer. And then I'll close in a moment.
Just before I close in prayer, let me quote from Peter's second letter. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son. Our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is indeed your glorious king. We thank you that he left heaven and became a man. And he did so out of his great love and mercy for us, so that he could die on the cross, which brings salvation. We pray, our Father, that you would give us a right response to your truths and to your loving mercy, that we might trust Jesus, that we might worship the Lord Jesus, and that we, we would listen to him. And we pray all of this in his holy and wonderful name. Amen.